Acts chapter 11, verse 1. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. Verse 2. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? So Peter is now back in Jerusalem, and instead of being welcomed, he gets rebuked for entering a Gentile's home and eating with them, going back to that cultural taboo that you do not eat with people who are unclean or wicked or whatever, because the food that you share becomes part of your being and part of their being. So in a sense, you're connected with that person by a meal. So they automatically fly off the handle. And this is typical, what I call churchianity. Yep, they had it then too. We know where it comes from. Forget about what God's doing. Let's lean on our own understanding of spiritual things. And in our overzealous self-righteousness, let's tear down the work that God is doing by tearing down the people that's doing the work. Very typical, very frustrating. Verse 4, but Peter began to explain it to them in order. So now he's going to say, look, guys, throttle back. Here's what happened. Verse 5, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance, I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Verse 6, looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. Verse 7, And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Verse 8, But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. Verse 9, But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. Verse 10, This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. Verse 11, And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. Verse 12, And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. So there apparently were the six that were with him. They were there in Jerusalem. He's like, look, these guys are here. They can vouch for me. Verse 13, And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon who is called Peter. Verse 14, he will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. So we didn't get this part in chapter 10, but we're getting it now. So that message, we now know what the prayer was, or at least summarizing the prayer. These guys wanted to know how to be saved. This is similar to the guy at the jail in Acts chapter 16. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Now, that doesn't mean that we can take that verse and say, if I'm a believer, my whole house is going to get saved. That was a prophetic verse in Acts 16. The Holy Spirit knew this guy and his whole house were seeking the Lord, and by believing, they would all come to know him. And so that's the context of that is prophetic. It's not just a a blanket statement that, look, whoever becomes a believer, your whole family is going to come to become believers. I know that not to be the case. So in ministry for a while, you see that. Verse 15, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. Verse 16, And I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. 17, If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to say that I could stand in God's way? Verse 18, When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Yeah, they had a moment of shame. Yeah, we probably should have listened to Peter's story first rather than jump all over him. And no doubt the Holy Spirit was speaking to them as well and probably saying something like, uh, yo, there's a reason you have two ears and only one mouth, dude. So when the fog cleared, they realized God was all over it, and then they glorified God. 
And that's one of the things with knowing the Lord that can sometimes be frustrating. We think we've got it all figured out, and then God throws us a curveball by doing something crazy. And we're like, what is this going? Come on, no way. No, this this is not right. And then, well, I'm just trying to do what the Lord told me. And then you realize, oh, you know what? God's all over that. And I feel stupid. So we need to be careful. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, all those. The last one, self-control. Control our mouths. Someone's explaining something to you and something crazy has gone on. Say, dude, just give me a heads up. What's going on here? Digest it, pray about it, and then formulate your own opinion if necessary. But don't just come unhinged because something weird happened, because God does weird things, because he loves people, and there are some weird people out there, and God loves the weird people. And so to witness to weird people, he uses other weird people. Verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. So the push now to get the gospel to the ends of the earth is in full swing, and now they're outside of Israel. And they come to Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch. Those are areas outside of Israel. Verse 20, But there were some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believe turned to the Lord. Many are believing in the Gentile territories, but they're mainly Jews. Verse 22, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So again, we see Barnabas. He now heads off to Antioch, which would become the future home of the church after the church left Jerusalem. Antioch was a very important city in early Christianity. Verse 23, When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. He sees this and he's like, dang, look at these guys. They're loving one another. They're building up the body of Christ. They're praying. They're repenting, man. This is cool. That is so encouraging. I've been to a couple of churches overseas, and when you see the work of God being done overseas— in places that you don't think it's happening. It's just so cool because you realize God's a big God. He does amazing things, not just here in our lives. He does things in all kinds of different churches, all kinds of different denominations. You know, he's everywhere. Anybody that has a heart to believe and does what's right, as we saw in chapter 10, he's all over them. And there's people like that all over the world. Verse 24, for he, Barnabas, was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. There's more and more coming. Verse 25. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Now remember, Barnabas was the one that brought Saul to the apostles. None of them wanted anything to do with Saul. And Barnabas is like, yeah, man, this is Saul, and he's one of us now. We need to forget about the past and look to the future. God's going to use this guy. And I could just see all them going, yeah, okay. Um, Hi, Saul. Uh, Yeah, I'm brother so-and-so. Nice meeting you. Oh, look at the time. I got to go. Barnabas is like, no, Saul is a good man. God is doing a great thing in his life. We need to embrace him. So what does he do? He goes to Antioch. He sees a big move of God there. And no doubt, prompted by the Holy Spirit, because he was filled with the Spirit, he goes to Tarsus to look for Saul so, so Saul can begin to minister there. Verse 26, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So Saul and Barnabas are teaching at Antioch for a year, and they're teaching at the church. So indicating by the time that Saul and Barnabas got there, there was already a church there. Cool. Things are happening. A lot of people are getting saved. 
but not everybody, because not all things were good. The people of Antioch who learned about this teaching began to mock the believers, and they called them little Christs, which the believers said, yeah, I'll take that title. So calling them Christians initially was an insult, because they're like, yeah, look at all these little Christs running around, what the word Christian is. And it drives me crazy when someone says they're a Christian and they live like hell. You shouldn't even have that title. You should never even claim that. Verse 27, now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. So they're beefing up their numbers. More believers are making their way up there because they see there's a work of God being done here. And who knows if the persecution is still ramped up down there, if it's still going, we don't know. But we do know that Antioch was getting a lot of attention by the apostles. Verse 28, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. And this took place in the days of Claudius. So here we're introduced to the prophet Agabus, and he's going to appear later as well. And he predicts a famine, and it happened. And this is the mark of a true prophet. Their prophetic declarations actually happen. If they don't come true with 100% accuracy, they are not to be considered a prophet. And that comes out of Deuteronomy chapter 13 and Deuteronomy chapter 18. And that's one of the interesting things when you start reading about religions that pop up, different alternative religions you know, that have a self-proclaimed prophet, and they make all these prophecies, and they don't come true. By Scripture, we are supposed to consider that person not a prophet. They're a liar, and we are not to heed anything they say. Because, number one, most people don't know what Deuteronomy 13 and Deuteronomy 18 say because they don't read their Bibles. And number two, most people are so scripturally illiterate as a whole That when someone who is charismatic stands up there and starts telling them things, they just say, oh, they're a person of God. They must be true and must be telling the truth. It's not true. They are liars. There's a lot of people today claiming to be prophets. And you don't see that in the scriptures. Someone who claims themselves, I am a prophet. You don't see that except there is one place that comes to mind. That's back in 1 Kings chapter 13, verse 18, the old prophet of Bethel. His name's not even mentioned, but he was a liar. And you can go back and read the story in 1 Kings chapter 13, but in verse 18 it says, And he said to them, I also am a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with you into your house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied to him. And the consequences of that verse is that prophet that was lied to would end up dying. He said, yeah, I'm a prophet. He comes out, he's nice, a liar. And when we see someone who's making prophetic declarations, they're declaring something that's going to happen in the future, and it doesn't happen, that person needs to be held accountable for that because you're deceiving people, and you, as a prophet, are claiming to speak on behalf of God. That's what a prophet does to relay the Word of God spoken to him or her to the people. It's not to create stuff out of your own imagination. It is simply to tell people, thus saith the Lord. This is what the Lord says. And if the Lord hasn't said that, you are lying. And that's a bad place to be. We do not want to be in a place where we're looking at God going, you know, I thought you said this, you know, Uh uh-uh. So be very careful if someone comes up and says, you know, hey, just let you know I'm a prophet because chances are they're lying to you. Now, you get to know somebody, they're a believer, and they say things, and it's like, well, that's wise, and it happens. You're like, dude, how'd you know that? Ah, you know what? I was just praying one day, and I felt that God wanted me to say that, you know? They've never declared themselves to be a prophet, yet what are they doing? They're exercising the gift of prophecy, which still happens in our fellowship and our church for the last 20-plus years. There's been many things that God has spoke to a variety of people about the ministry that has come true. 
There's many things that God does on a daily basis around the world just like this. But we don't go around saying, hey, guess what, man? I am a prophet. That's pride. And God doesn't want to use a person that's full of pride. I know that one. So be careful when you're dealing with people that proclaim to be something. But Agabus, this guy was for real. And we'll see him later on in the book of Acts. And he's still hanging in there. He's still holding on to his faith. And God is still using him. And that's what we want. We want to do this for the long haul. We want to keep our eyes on Jesus. Because that finish line is coming up for every one of us at some point in our lives. And we want to cross that finish line. Not being someone with a bad reputation. Not being someone who doesn't take the word seriously. Who plays around with the word of God. Who uses it for our own self-interest. We want to be men and women of God who, when we cross that finish line, we're going to hear those words by the Lord himself. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. You get that by being a man like Agabus or a man like Barnabas or a man like Saul or a man like Peter. And all of them had a past. All of them were not perfect, but God worked through them in amazing ways. Verse 29, So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So there's a need that pops up. And because of that need, they need somebody to deliver whatever it was. Was it money? Was it food? Was it whatever? And Barnabas and Paul, yeah, we'll take care of it. So you see them teaming up here. Here you go. The mighty duo of Barnabas and Saul. Notice that Barnabas' name is first, then Saul. Because a lot of times we think about Saul, the Apostle Paul, same person, but we kind of think of Barnabas as a sidekick. And remember, Barnabas at this point is leading. He is a leader in the church, and he's doing a good job, and he's like, look, Saul, you're coming with me. Let's go do this. And Saul's like, let's do it. So you have a friendship brewing here. You have a partnership, brothers in ministry, going out for the cause of Christ. And God's going to use both these men in amazing ways. And he can use us in amazing ways as well. So keep digging into the word. Keep praying. Keep submitting to God and you will find that purpose. You'll find that hope. You'll find that joy of serving the Lord and you'll be blessed. Thank you.